0: A friendly warning some of the stories in the monster box contain scenes depicting adult themes strong language sexual content and intense violence listener discretion is advised hello friend and welcome to the monster box a collection of audio stories of and about monsters inspired by the D&D universe. I'm your resident monster host and narrator, Chuck D. Yeager. Beside me sits the aforementioned Monster Box, a treasure chest full of stories written by a collective of monster lovers, like yourself, known as the Monster Nation. Each time I open it, I release a new tale about a different creature for your enjoyment. So let's lift the lid and see what awaits us. Today's wartime short focuses on a classic foe, the Lich. A pinnacle of the undead, a Lich was once a mage who sacrificed their life for the promise of even greater magic and eternal power in undeath. There are few beings more powerful in magic than a Lich. And yet, such a villain always calls heroes to the forefront to challenge it. You can fight magic with magic, they say, and that's just what our story aims to prove today. It pays to have friends, though, to help. Just be careful the Lich doesn't have more than you do. This story is brought to you by Rory McGuire, dear listener. I hope you enjoy it. It's entitled, The Eyeless Face. The thought became breath deep in his chest. Breath turned to words whispered across bloody lips like a butterfly emerging from its cocoon the words gave way to magic leaving the taste of ozone and static in quinn's bloody mouth the head of the orc vanguard split in two with the spell complete the lightning bolt tore from quinn's fingers down from the parapet and into the lead of the pulsing mass of orcs beneath him the bolt continued jumping to more of the green-skinned monsters within a shard of a moment Eight orc bodies were tumbling down the hillside beneath the walls of Verdana. The bodies fell end over end, releasing static and electrical discharge on each impact with the ground. The orcs climbing the hill, hundreds now, gave a wide berth to the tumbling bodies, but continued shields aloft as arrows rained down on them. From his position on the west wall, Quinn's bright green eyes could see a thousand or more orcs. Those climbing the frozen hill were well-armored, Some carrying siege ladders, most carrying large axes and machetes used to traverse the wildlands to the south. Every orc, however, had a shield of some kind, which they lifted above their heads as the arrows fell down from the walls of Verdana. Down in the valley below the sheep farms had given way to the well-trod mud churned over the wheels of catapults and orc boots. Beyond the line of catapults, Quinn could see the three banners rippling in the winter wind. The first banner was a severed ear, alone and bloody on a field of gray. The second, a serrated ritual dagger, gray on a field of black. And last, a tall, impressive banner, was a maimed, human head with its eyes removed on a field of brown. Quinn did not know the orcs from the wildlands, but he could tell that the third banner, the eyeless face, was a tribe that had united the other two. Their banner held the central point of the horde, and it was elevated above the others. This was the tribe that had let the others here, to siege them for a week, beginning of winter, when the harvest stores had just come in. In the center of that armored, stinking mass was the warlord, the raid leader who was responsible for this, the creature who had led the campaign on the town of Verdana. Quinn reached within himself and called forth another lightning bolt, its powerful caress sending more orcs tumbling down the hillside. The strain of the spell caught him off guard, and he coughed, bloody spittle lining his lips. Besides Quinn, dozens of archers stood along the walls, knocking and releasing arrows so quickly as they could. He could see that they were more than halfway through their stockpile. Each archer carried a short sword, which Quinn caught one of the men eyeing as he looked over them.
1: Gerald, these men will not hold long.
0: Quinn turned to his apprentice, a pale-haired, blue-eyed boy from the north enshrouded in robes.
1: They'll be drawing their blades soon. And when that happens, this wall falls.
0: Gerald's eyes skipped from Quinn to the orcs below, then to the floor.
1: You haven't rested in three days, Master. Surely, you're spent. With every incantation, I taste my own blood. Yes.
0: And with that... Quinn stepped off the parapet and into the void above the battlefield. But
1: try and keep up with me.
0: As the ground rushed up at Quinn, the orcs below him scattered. With a quick gesture, magic surrounded him and Gerald above, slowly cushioning their fall. The gap in the orcs didn't last long. The first wave of them came from the sides, deep green skin, almost brown in hue, with maws a jumble of tusk and gore. Quinn extended his hands, entwining his thumbs and spreading his fingers wide like an eagle. His hands erupted in flame, flying from his fingertips to the oncoming lights. A second wave came, and again, flame leapt from Quinn's fingers, igniting the early winter air. Quinn strode down the hill as his body was racked with coughs. Below in the valley, the banners surged forward. As the orcs closed the gap, the banner bearer could see through the smoke and haze. The eyeless face was almost 60 feet tall, carried by a massive mahogany pole. Next to the banner bearer was a figure a creature clad in a banded suit of crimson armor and carrying a massive jawbone fixed with a beautiful axe blade. The red armored figure brought a massive carved horn of a fell beast to his mouth and blew.
1: Gerald, if we can get down 300 yards, I believe I can get a challenge to their warlord.
0: Quinn shouted. A third wave rushed in. This group with shields no longer overhead, but pointed towards Quinn and Gerald. Quinn looked at the lead orc, and in an ancient tongue muttered a command. The orc stumbled, looked around wildly, and dropped his sword, clutching at his face as though he could no longer see. Other orcs collided with him, stacking up on top of each other. Quinn conjured a small ball of fire in the palm of his hand, no larger than a cherry. He threw the ember towards the orcs. It grew as it traveled, from a cherry-sized coal to a hot, smoldering orb larger than a bull's head. Like the crash of falling timbers, a fireball struck the works, and the resulting chaos of burning greenskin trying to put themselves out started a rout down the hill. Gerald thought he could see blood pouring from Quinn's nose and at the edges of his mouth. Quinn picked up his stride, following in the steps of the retreating works. Gerald continued behind him, his dagger drawn, watching the burnt and electrified bodies steaming in the early winter air for any signs of movement. Quinn could hear the archers behind him cheering. But it quickly disappeared in coughs, coughs that doubled him over. Quinn's vision faded as the thousand shapes of the horde below moved forward, teeming with wet mouths and angry eyes. Quinn felt a dull burning in his chest, up through his throat, into his esophagus, finishing in his nostrils. He was breathing through his mouth, unable to draw air through the blood that had risen up and coagulated through his nasal passages.
2: It was a good attempt.
0: An old, friendly voice awoke him. It was a voice that Quinn had known for almost 30 years, belonging to a woman he could bleed with.
1: Lady Kensington, I'm sorry, I failed.
0: (coughs) He burst into coughs, the taste of blood filling his mouth again. Gerald was next to him with water, but Quinn waved him off in between coughs.
2: It was three days, and we're lucky that we held out as long as we did.
0: Lady Kensington opened a mailed hand towards Quinn on the floor.
2: And you, you're lucky that Gerald was as resourceful as he is. He thought you might try that and told the archers to make sure to cover your retreat.
0: Lady Kensington sat across from him on a small wooden throne, on an elevated dais that took the seat mere inches off the ground. She was clad in a burnished suit of chainmail, with a simple red and white tabard strewn across it. The throne room was empty. Aside from the two of them and Gerald, But Quinn could hear moaning, crying, shrieking, and talking outside. There were hundreds of villagers seated outside, jammed into Kensington's inner keep and making a new home out of her receiving hall.
2: Quinn, I'm riding out tomorrow morning to surrender Verdana.
1: Quinn shook his head. No, they'll kill every last one of us.
2: It's a gamble for mercy, better than a gamble for victory.
1: But what of the reinforcements? There
2: are no reinforcements. Winter has closed the roads to the north and the east, and the king would never send up men from the south with war on.
0: The lady rose from her throne and helped Quinn up off the ground, where he had laid amongst the few woolen
1: blankets.
2: It was a brilliant time for orcs to attack. We've faced worse
1: odds, back to back with the dead rising around us, Quinn whispered.
2: Those times were long ago, Quinn. We're not adventurers or slayers of the undead anymore.
1: I saw their warlord, Quinn sat up. Blood-hued mail and a battle-axe made from a giant's jawbone. If we can stop him, we can-
2: I appreciate your optimism, Quinn.
0: Lady Kensington took her seat again.
2: But the town is surrounded. I do not have the time to let you heal so you can try this again. I must make a decision for the people. We can't gamble here. We can't risk our lives as though they're the only ones at stake.
1: Give me one day. Quinn
0: looked up at Kensington. His fatigue wicked away for a moment and he held only resolve and intensity in his eyes.
1: Just
2: one day is all I need. You do not have the capacity to do anything tomorrow. I know you well enough, Quinn. I know the magic drains you, and if you let it, it consumes you, destroys you.
0: Kensington waved a mailed hand.
2: I've seen it a dozen times or more, but I see it now more than any other time, except for perhaps when we fought vacmore
0: Quinn could hear a distant whisper. A whisper mumbled a mile away, but audible like it was in his ear. He hadn't heard the whisper in years, but he knew its promises well. Even at this distance, his ears rang. Quinn moved forward, kneeling before Kensington.
1: Give me one day, and I will stop this warlord, and with him, his army.
0: Kensington's eyes narrowed.
2: How?
1: You know I would give everything to save this thing we have built.
0: As would I. Gerald stepped forward, kneeling down next to Quinn. Quinn could see Gerald had aged years in just the few days they had been fighting. He couldn't imagine what he might have looked like.
1: Let us stop this orc. Let us stop this war party.
0: Quinn pointed out into the foyer.
1: Let us save these people.
0: Kensington looked over them.
2: You have one day.
0: She rose and exited the humble throne room.
2: A single day to prepare and execute.
0: Quinn looked over Gerald as Kensington exited the throne room. Gerald's eyes softened into a gaze that danced from Quinn's face to the ground.
1: I meant what I said, Quinn. I would give anything to save this town.
0: The whisper was there again, as though the figure was standing over him, head cowed with a hand to its mouth, whispering the inconceivable. I know. The orcs had occupied the outer walls. In through a large chunk of the town, and were held up around the gates to the inner keep. Patrols moved through the side streets, two- and three-story yellow brick buildings towering over them. Gerald and Quinn shuffled between the buildings, sprinting and then pausing to inhale the night air before arriving at Quinn's manor. With each sprint across the street, Quinn could hear the whispers, growing louder. They found his lab as they had expected. The orcs hadn't found their way through his wards and protective spells cast upon the manor and the surrounding area. Reagents and components were hung high on thin lines of deer gut or fused into oils in glass jars. The room held a few marble slabs, acting as tables and workshop spaces. At the rear of the room was a stone door, inscribed with runes and covered in markings. The smell of the lab was pungent, powerful, but it felt like home to the man and the boy. Gerald lit a candle and moved through the room, illuminating it. The voice had been whispering to Quinn all night. It was loud enough now that when it spoke, he could hear nothing else. A few times Quinn had asked Gerald to repeat himself.
1: I need you to stay here, Gerald.
0: Quinn moved to the sealed door, its pale runes gleaming with a blue light in his proximity.
1: It has been so long.
0: The whispers were intelligible now, louder than ever. He moved the latch out of the way and muttered the incantation to slide the door aside. We can
1: say it
0: Though a whisper, the voice boomed as though it had echoed through a valley of bone a mile long. The room inside was small, ten feet square, but filled with dust, covering remnants of another life. The wand of a wandering ogre magi that Quinn and Kensington defeated sat on a piece of sheepskin. A black silk robe emblazoned with demonic runes hung in another corner. An old tome bearing draconic text a curved ritual dagger made of black metal with a handle of bone. But at the rear of the room was a simple cedar box. Protect them. The voice bounced off the walls, ringing in Quinn's ears like thunder. The box was tied tight with eight strands of silver chain. Each face of the box labeled with a rune. Free them. Quinn's hands shook as the voice reverberated. Quinn lifted up the box, carrying it by the eight strands. He told you he would do it. Quinn stepped outside, setting the box down on the marble, and gestured over at Gerald. You
1: said that you would do anything for these people.
0: Gerald moved over and eyed the chains, and raised an eyebrow at Quinn. Quinn nodded. Open it. He said he would do
1: anything for them
0: gerald removed one of the strands it caught the light and another another his
1: sacrifice
0: is heroic bright red droplets of blood appeared in quinn's ears the sixth chain the seventh the eighth the silver chains dulled as though gerald had immersed them all in oil he looked over at quinn
1: open it but your
0: sacrifice A drop of blood ran down Quinn's earlobe and dripped onto his robes. The candles in the room extinguished as Gerald lifted the lid. There was utter blackness for a moment, but as the lid came off, the pale light inside faintly illuminated the room in moonlight. Together we'll save Verdana. Quinn slid the curved ritual dagger in quickly behind Gerald's ear and drew it across his throat. There was a cough, a sputter, And then Gerald was gone, and there was only blood spilling down onto the open cedar box and its contents. Seated in her throne room just before dawn, Kensington thought back on the last 30 years in Verdana. The struggles against raiders and the fight that started them on this path. Kensington looked up as Quinn entered the room. Her tired face rapidly hardened and turned into a squint.
2: What's happened?
0: She looked at Quinn, and then looked at the box, christened with crimson smears. But her eyes couldn't help but stare at the blood coming from Quinn's ears.
2: Dear gods, what have you done?
0: Quinn placed the box in front of her. The cedar was stained with fresh blood. He lifted the lid and Kensington recognized the contents. A small bone box on a leather cord and a silver dagger. She remembered that day. She remembered the thing butchering its own body to channel black energies.
2: Dear gods, Quinn, no! No!
0: She pointed at the blood smears on the box.
2: What have you done?
1: I didn't hide my willingness to do anything to save Verdana, and neither did Gerald.
0: Quinn's eyes leveled at Kensington. Kensington's sword leapt out from her sheath and found its way to Quinn's throat. She remembered the voice of the Lich. The voice so loud their ears rang.
2: You monster! The Lich lives in that box as powerful as he was thirty years ago. If you had told
1: me... If I had told you my plans, you would have had me arrested, and the people of this town would die, Quinn said. I will die today, but they will not.
0: She remembered Quinn taking the small bone cube that shone like moonlight. Inside were vellum scrolls, powerful binding spells which held the lich's soul to the tiny artifact. As long as the phylactery was whole, he would live forever, free to seek another body to inhabit. Quinn had promised her to destroy it 30 years ago
2: i should kill you now since we freed
1: this town from his skeletal grasp 30 years ago i have protected for Dana, its citizens i did it by doing what needed to be done i have control of vacmore for now but it won't last long once i have killed the chieftain you must destroy the phylactery
0: quinn raised the bone cube on the leather cord and the small silver dagger she remembered the knight who was turned to ash, the burglar who was pulled screaming into the lich's robes, never to be seen again. And then, you
1: must kill me.
0: Kensington lowered her sword, sheathed it, and took the dagger and phylactery from Quinn. The weight of the dagger in her hand reminded her of being young, strong, and determined. She remembered the creature thrusting its ritual dagger into its own eye sockets and the powerful black energies rising around them in the final moments of the battle. She remembered, with nothing left, she muttered a prayer to the Goddess of Light and charged. Kensington reached out, placing a hand on Quinn's shoulder. He was cold to the touch, as though he had been out into the wind for hours. She closed her eyes and squeezed him.
2: May her light guide you in the dark.
0: Quinn took a deep breath and gestured towards the incoming orcs. He exhaled, blowing towards them like the head of a dandelion seed. Seams of energy appeared across the bodies of the orcs, and mid-stride, they spiraled into ash. Then, nothing but a cold, biting wind blew across the muddy footprints. Bull-headed, battering rams had been tossed aside hours ago as the orcs charged through the broken gates of the inner keep of Verdana. Quinn held them by himself, drawing on a power within. With each spell he summoned, however, he could feel a numbness growing, gnawing at him. Quinn could keep the orcs at bay for hours, even days, but he knew siege engines were maneuvering into place outside, and the chill spread. Townsfolk filled the inner keep, standing nervously on the granite and slate floors of Kensington's welcome hall. Most were wielding weapons ranging from personal hunting spears to pitchforks. At the vanguard was Kensington, who had ten guards left mostly archers. Another surge of orcs poured through the door. Quinn inhaled deeply as the air around him crackled. With a gesture, a pale mist crept from the ground around the incoming orcs, enveloping them. Their squinting, determined eyes went wide and began to dart back and forth as the mist enveloped the greenskins. Within moments, the orcs were on the ground, their bodies shriveled and dry as the mist receded back into the land. Quinn nodded over to Kensington. We can wait no longer. Quinn moved towards the door. Behind him, Kensington was advancing with her guardsmen. The sobbing of a few villagers briefly rose over the din of battle. The square outside the keep was muddy with gore and early winter rain. The mailed boots of the orc tribes fought to gain traction in the mud as siege ladders rode forward towards the inner keep. Hundreds of orcs, clad in spiked mail, wielding serrated axes and machetes, stood waiting for a chance into the interior of Verdana and the last of its inhabitants. From among the muddy greenskin bodies, Quinn recognized a figure clad in red mail, wielding a jawbone axe, his helmet featureless. The figure extended a mailed hand and pointed at Quinn as he emerged from the keep. Quinn extended a hand, palm out, towards the orcs, and thrust the ritual dagger through the back of his hand and through his palm. Blood poured onto the ground. From his hands, a cold, numbing energy coursed through Quinn's body, up his arm and into his torso. He could feel it throughout his body rising and falling like the surface of a black ocean under stormy skies he pointed his pierced palm towards the horde and darkness poured from his wound enveloping the orcs in a stream of black energy the affected orcs collapsed and the mud around them sucked them into the earth the stream subsided and another row of orcs pushed forward quinn felt like he'd been laying in the snow for hours quinn's eyes wandered to kensington who stood before her archers blade drawn, waiting for the orc push. He smiled at her. She remembered standing in the crypt, the lich standing over them, darkness closing in, and Quinn flashing that same smile. Quinn looked back at the orcs, and the smile receded into a grimace, lips pulled tight back from teeth and gums. Quinn brought both of his hands to the ritual dagger. He breathed deeply again, prepared himself, and then thrust the curved ritual dagger into his left eye, then pulled it out, and again... to his right. Blood poured down Quinn's cheeks. His body was arched, electric, and then suddenly relaxed as the numbness washed over the wounds. He extended his arms skyward, and all around them the mud began to bubble and churn, swirl and shift. He closed his fists, and the ground buckled around Quinn. Within a few meters, the bodies of the fallen orcs rose, but as each took their feet, another body next to them stirred and then the next and the next the pulse of energy radiated outward dozens of meters an undead horde rose around quinn quinn looked out over the orcs with an eyeless face as their compatriots stood from the ground around them dozens of orcs and hundreds of fallen villagers and guardsmen rose filled by quinn's black energies he released his fist and looked out over his creation through magical sight from an eyeless face. Quinn gestured, but the undead stood still. He gestured again, summoning forth a command spell, which fizzled into sparks. A bright horn pierced the winter air, resounding across the battlefield. The red-mailed orc stepped forward as the other greenskins sheathed their weapons. The mahogany banner rising behind him of a head without eyes. The orc knelt before Quinn and looked up at him. Quinn could see the orc's helmet now, a solid piece of metal covering the upper part of his head where there should be slits for eyes, and Quinn saw only steel, an eyeless helmet. The rest of the orc horde behind him shuffled and knelt, spears piercing the ground and axes placed nearby.
1: Lord Vagmor,
0: the orc sputtered in broken common.
1: We answered your summons.
0: Quinn attempted to raise a hand to summon forth magic, but he felt only numbness as he attempted to move his limbs. His vision blurred, and it felt as though Quinn was looking out at the world from deep within a cave. Quinn's body turned away from the orc to see a rushing figure. Kensington moved faster in her mail than she should have, the silver dagger ready to strike. Quinn tried to stop himself, tried to free his hands, to turn back towards the orcs. The rushing Kensington was only a few meters from Quinn, but in a flash she covered the distance and was atop him. The dagger struck, brought down in an overhand right attack that caught Quinn in the shoulder and carried down across his stomach. The dagger split the robe asunder, revealing beneath it cold flesh. Cold, undamaged flesh. Kensington looked up at Quinn, confused. In 30 years. From a distance. Quinn watched as his body stepped forward and removed the silver dagger from her hand. It wasn't him anymore. The eyeless corpse of Quinn, Vakmore, squeezed the dagger, It bent and buckled, and Kensington could see the exterior wasn't silver, but silvered. He was never in control. The voice was like the roar of a river in spring, growing louder. Vakmore smiled down at Kensington flashing the same smile that Quinn had all those years ago. I was not in his box. The voice boomed. The orcs in the area covered their ears as traces of blood ran down their necks. You were in mine. <laughs> Vacmore reached out and gathered Kensington, pulling her close as though for a hug. There was a pause, a push away from Vakmor's eyeless body. Then Kensington disappeared into Vakmor's robes in silence. The bent silver dagger dropped into the mud, which absorbed it and disappeared into the earth. Vakmor, the robed figure that was once Quinn, stood before the undead and the orcs. The red-mailed orc removed his helmet, revealing an ancient face whose eyes were removed long ago. A soft winter wind rose from the valley and kissed Verdanna, as it passed southward. <laughs> and with that, our story comes to a close. I will admit, there are few monsters from the D&D universe that I love more than the Lich. These undead wizards conjure images for me of dark magic, lost knowledge, ultimate sacrifice, and cursed timeless quests for great power. I always expect in stories I read with the Lich that it will be the villain and the hero will overcome them. How nice to see the truth laid out in this tale that oftentimes the hero is nothing more than a speed bump for the power of the Lich to roll right over. Of course, Having an army of undead and orcs doesn't hurt either. Yep, I'm Team Lich, and I endorse this message. Thank you for tuning in. Today's tale was written by Rory McGuire. It was narrated and produced by Chuck D. Yeager. Voice talent was provided by Rhett Fraticelli, Tanya Yeager, and myself. All music is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. If you have a story about a monster, and want to join the illustrious writers of the Monster Nation, feel free to contact us at themonsterboxawaits at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, there's a story within every monster.